Welcome to Theatre Voice, a podcast about performance from the V&A. If you want to hear an impression of a demonic Texan elf, then stay listening to this interview. Tristan Finn Etuenu is an incredible director and writer and theatre maker. He won the JMK Award in 2019 and just opened at the Royal Court is the play for black boys who have considered suicide when the hue gets too heavy, which Tristan has co-directed with writer Ryan Calais Cameron. It's just made this unusual transfer from the New Diorama Theatre, which is an incredible theatre, to the Royal Court in London. As far as anyone's aware, that's never happened before, but I'm very glad it has because it gives people another chance to see the show. In this interview with Fergus Morgan, Tristan talks about the cinematic and video game influences on his multi-form work. He also covers awards like the JMK, how useful they are, how much of a lifeline it was for him, and his existential crisis with theatre during lockdown. So here's Fergus Morgan talking to Tristan Finney-Duenu. Thanks for joining me, Tristan. I guess the most exciting thing that's going on uh, in your life right now must be the transfer of For Black Boys Who Have Considered Suicide When the Hue Gets Too Heavy. Shortened to For Black Boys, is that right? Yes, it is. Just To Black Boys, To The Royal Court. How are you feeling? That's incredible. It's a, it's, it's a remarkable thing that's happening. I feel very honoured. I feel very honoured for that to have happened. It's the first transfer of its kind that I know of, of going from a fringe theatre to uh not west end but the scale of west end to a a producing writing writers theatre so i feel very honored that that has happened really honored for people that haven't seen the show do you mind describing it for me yes so it's about six black men who are relaying unpacking and connecting via their shared um their shared experiences of what is to be a black and a man in britain and they're just they're just in this therapy room but they're allowing their imaginations to take hold of this space and really allow us and the other black men in the particular therapy space they were in inside of their own stories to just discover why has this thing affected me specifically what in these stories trigger warning, I'm going to talk about suicide, to um, aid or connect someone in committing suicide. Um, I don't know if I'm saying it in the right way, but basically each story, there is something within it that could push every man over the edge, especially these particular black men over the edge. Um, And so it's exploring why that is, how do they come away from that? How do they connect in order to not get to the edge because um, they're getting closer and closer to it. It's called the Fantasia, right? It's, I should say that it's um, from Nouveau Riche, uh, the kind of creative enterprise of Ryan Calais Cameron, who um, I've talked to before and I'm sure you know well. Um, what? Yeah, it's called the Fantasia. What does that mean in this context? And what does it, what does it look like on stage? In this context, it just means that the boys' stories are not um, withheld in one particular form i mean we explore music dance poetry as well as the monologues as well as more naturalistic speech um 
in one thing in a, in a melting pot of things because as we said before we want to look at these black boys imaginations and the fantasia is the imaginations and the way we want to explore the imaginations on stage is as theatrically as possible we want to use whatever the theater can give us to make sure these imaginations are very clear potent and um also exciting to explore as an audience um, so on stage, it's going to literally be an explosion of poetry, music, all those things. And it's music that we know. Some, it might even be dance that we know. And then it, it, it transpires and it, and it evolves into something far more soulfully poignant for each of these men. Was that part of the attraction for you as, as a director? Was that really exciting for you, being able to kind of, yeah, explore those different mediums on stage and really express yourself yes that's my sort of niche um, <laughs> <laughs> i believe in as as an artist in general i believe one of my main sources for staying with the arts and one of the things i really want to cultivate in the arts is allowing audiences to use and um, exercise their imaginations so anything that allows them to do that and 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 allows them on stage to look at something and and really get excited about filling in the blanks. I'm really here for anything that really gets them excited about, oh, I didn't see things like that, that song or that movement or that poetic line in that way. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's just opened up a lot more things for me. Um, anything that allows that, especially black imaginations, black British imaginations, I'm all, I'm all for. Where do you think that? comes from in you it comes from video games <laughs> it comes from video games it comes from having a really wild wacky imagination in myself i used to love video games used to love cartoons i have a very cinematic video game-esque active brain and imagination and it kind of seems like other people like to be there too they like they like to explore what that is too um and explore what that is for themselves and so within where that comes from within me is just I want to allow people into my head and I want from me as an artist really to connect to other people um because I always used to be quite shy um when I was growing up, I didn't used to talk at all, but like my imaginations were like, where did this come from in this such a quiet person? And I think it's transpired now into me really just wanting to connect with other people's imaginations and develop relationships and legacies and many other pieces of art, collaborative art from that. It's interesting you talk about being a shy kid because I read this passage on your your website which says, my first foray um, was stalking a taekwondo club that I was too scared to join. Um, the sensei there gave me a form about a youth theatre project for the summer. I came in being an introvert, then I did an improvisation where I was a demonic Texan elf who had ADHD with a dash of attachment issues. And yeah. that was it, really. Um, first of all, what was that impression like? <laughs> and uh, second of all, what was it? Was that Was that the moment that you... I don't know. Do you, do, do you tie everything back to that, that moment? First of all, the impression. I don't know if I can still do it. It was ridiculous. I don't know what I did. I was just like, if you don't stay here, you're going to be here forever. Or something like, I don't even know what I said. It was something along those lines. And I was just jumping all over the place. And I was like, 
oh, this is not too bad, is it? Okay. Funny enough, before then, I, I had actually done a little bit of drama at primary school, um, but it was literally for the year six play. I wanted to be Tybalt because I was like, that character's interesting, but I don't know if I'd do it. And uh, the teacher gave me Romeo. And I was like, okay, you're giving me the whole lead? All right. <laughs> I'm a bit scared, but let's go for it. Um, and I enjoyed it, but I never thought I was going to continue in that vein. So when I was, because I was, I, I always, I always forget to put this on the website. I actually was doing karate at the time. So the reason, the other reason was I was not doing taekwondo because I was like, am I, am I being a traitor? I don't know. Um, but I was like, oh, taekwondo looks fun. Let me just see what they, these guys do. And maybe one day I'll decide to do it as well. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the person, he just, he just gave me this form. I don't know. I don't know why he thought it would be good for me, but he just gave it to me. Um, and at the same time, there was a, a, a advert in the local um, newspaper about the Oval House Summer School, which had been going on for some time, and I didn't really know anything about it. And I was like, "Hmm, this will really bring me out of my shell quite a lot." But like, I don't know. I don't know. And I did it. And yes, I did that Texan elf thing and that opened up my, oh, this is something I actually really enjoy. Because I, before this, I really was, I was really working towards being a video game designer. That was it. But then this is something I really enjoy. But it was not just that moment. It actually was during that project. It was the fact that I wanted to do so many other things within it. So I started to come in with CDs of like instrumentals that I have in my house and be like, what if we put this song in the play? Because it was a musical. What if we put this song in the play? Obviously they said no. But I was like, hey. Um, I brought in um, ideas for costumes for other characters as well as my own. I had like ideas for movement and stuff. And it was like, okay, so something's really sparking within me. And I continued the Oval House at that time, continued doing the acting, but there was something about the way I was doing it that everybody could see that there was, acting was not the only avenue that I wanted to explore or that I should explore. Um, there was something more about the creation of something and my energy levels that had suddenly finally been unlocked um, and put somewhere. That was, that was the beginning for me. Those, those, the connections of those moments that was the real beginning of me becoming a creator, a writer and director, um, as well as an actor at that particular time. But it was acting that you, you kind of pursued yes. at first before you kind of pursued directing and writing and things like that. You went yes. to Roehampton, is that right? Yeah, I studied um, English literature and drama at Roehampton. Um, Did you act while you were there? Yeah, so funny enough, so this is it's, it's very weird because... I pursued acting at first, but my acting journey has been nowhere near as long or <laughs> illustrious as the rest of my creative journey. Because, yes, when I was in college, I went to Richmond Fontaine's College. When I was in college, um, I uh, auditioned for the drama company at the Oval House. Um, and the person who was leading at that time, Toby Clark, um, said to me, Okay, Tristan, you can be in a drama company if you want, but I also have you in mind for being my assistant director. 
Um, and this is because I had done a Silver Arts Award and I was actually writing a, a play at the time because I was like, let me just give this a go. Because um, I saw a play there that I absolutely adored. Um, and I wanted to give that a go. And that scared me. And doing that, again, it really opened me up to there's so much more that I want to do than acting. And, and slowly but surely, acting was beginning to become more of a passion but it wasn't necessarily the the only direction I wanted to go in um, or the strongest direction I wanted to go in. But I loved it all the same. I loved doing it. I still love doing it all the same. Um, so by the time I went to Roehampton University, I knew that I was doing a course that wasn't an actor-centred course. I knew doing English and drama at a university is very different from doing acting at a conservatoire. And so I came in knowing that I am exploring the craft of theatre and words and English to enhance myself as a creative in general that is interested in theatre. And it has, it has pathways that ends up in acting, but also ended up a lot in writing and directing. Um, rather than coming in thinking, I'm here to be an actor. Because I was, if anybody's listening to this, any young person's listening to this now, you do not go to university to train to be an actor. I'm sorry, you do not. You either continue doing what you do on the outside, which I did as well. I was doing a lot of stuff on the outside. I was in many youth companies. Um, or you, do, Or if you really, really want to train, go to a conservatoire like your radars and your guild halls and your arts eds and your mount views and your lambdas. You go to those places to, to train to be an actor. Um, and I and I understood that very, very early. Some of my classmates did not, and that ended up being really sad. When you were going through this process of discovering your taste in theatre and discovering your taste as a director and the fact that acting wasn't all you wanted to do, you wanted to write and direct, and all these kinds of things, what theatre were you interested in? What theatre were you discovering? And were there things that you thought, that's the sort of theatre I want to make? Or you, could you not see the theatre that you wanted to make out there? It was, a, it, it was, I did start to see, I saw flecks of the theatre I wanted to make. Number one, a lot of the theatre that I wanted to make was based upon the youth theatre I was, I was already in. So I was kind of making the theatre I wanted to make because a lot of it was devised and seeing how that came to fruition was really exciting. That was around the first time I ever saw... Um, I read Gone Too Far as a play and I was like, oh my days, this is a play that sounds like people from where I'm from and my school. I've never seen this on the stage before. Um, and I was really in love with that play. And then I also had watched the very first scratch of Little Baby Jesus by Renze Kenne. And that was the first time I saw my type of imagination and my specific type of writing on stage and seeing what that could do. So I had those very early experiences before, before going into uni. And then when I was at uni, I think I really started to discover more about physical theatre and spoken word and, and those two scenes and, and, and dance theatre as well. I've, I've fallen in love with stuff like Boy Blue and... Um, well, actually, Boy Blue is the main one, actually. But, like, there are other little dance theatres I've seen. Obviously, I still was at Over House at the time, and we had a dance company. So seeing them create productions as well was amazing. So I found, I started to fall in love with multi... Um, f- 
perform work that in, that wasn't necessarily musicals because I was never necessarily into musicals, but I was into music as a as a as a zeitgeist in work, as a propeller, as a character within itself um, that could really explore things. And I was falling in love with what dance could do in terms of um, and physical theatre could do in terms of exploring the uncanny or the spiritual or the um, fantastical. Um, because I think those two things, music and movement, really can elevate pieces to explore things that we think can only exist on film, which is something I, I, I am very interested in a lot, which is you think that because it's a fantasy or it's a sci-fi or it's got this really uncanny element or it's very cerebral, that it, that, that it can only exist on film because all you know is film to do that level of epic work. Whereas if you just utilise what, movement and music gives you which is a very physical thing and not think about just the aesthetics of setting or stuff like that but you use those things to help and elevate both all of those things it you you do what i i believe you do what i've always wanted you to do which is imagine you imagine what it could mean in a more physical real form but you're seeing the soul of what this was meant to represent on stage and I really enjoy that. Do you think that enough people in the theatre industry have have big enough imaginations to do this kind of thing on stage, to play around with music and movement and to make multi, multi-form work? My generation and generation coming up has become far more interested in music and movement as a form, um, in particular movement as a form of uh, exploration of the epic. I always say either the epic, when I, and when I say epic, I don't mean Brechtian, I just mean generally bigger stories, or the uncanny, or the fantastical, the spiritual. Um, and I think my generation and a generation afterwards, even more so, are really beginning to explore that. I think the generation before me, um, and I'm talking about when they're actually staged as productions, not so much when they're written down all the time, I think... Um, they were they thought of the fantastical spiritual epic has to be very 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 aesthetically correct um and so so i wouldn't say that there is not enough imagination but i'd say the imagination was fed into something else and our generation is feeding our imagination into something else also doesn't mean either are wrong it just means that there is something in between that could that could be really beautiful and flourish in a theatrical space I think musicals are the first versions, not always the best. And I don't hate musicals when I say this. I just don't have many that I'm very into. Um, But I think musicals are the first versions of seeing what that can look like. And I think that scares people sometimes as well. Um, Because you see it in a certain way. You see it as something that is is very elitist, that is very very not for you. Because of the, the history around who is allowed in theatre, what you're allowed to do in the theatre and stuff like that. So you've already got those preconceptions. Um, and so musicals are the first place where you can see what that epicness, that fantastic, that fantastical energy, that spiritual energy can look like. I also would say um, one thing I've been interested in more and more um, in terms of looking at pre-colonial um, explorations of theatre, especially black um and I won't say black theatre because I don't think when we're looking at back at, at, at the practices in different countries and tribes within Africa and what's also transferred over to the Caribbean, I don't think we would have 
we would have called it theatre. I think we would have just seen it as ritual. We would have just seen it as storytelling. And so the, the ideas of what does move, music and movement in those spaces mean and what is their specific function. Um, and, they, and usually it is to either connect to history, connect to a higher power. Um, and our stories, pre-colonial anyway, were epic in form anyway. So I've been really beginning to be more interested in looking back into what that is um, and how actually it still exists today, but in forms that you don't always think of. So we exist in carnival for Caribbeans and what, and what, and what that meant for the Caribbean people, um, which was an act of resistance, um, as well as acknowledging the history that they took from or they had been able to cultivate and, and keep telling the stories of from Africa over to the Caribbean. What was the culture that surrounded you when you were growing up? Does that, did you feel the echoes of, of, of this in, in your kind of environment? So number one, my particular family um, loved telling stories. They love telling me stories about my history. So I guess I, I've grown up with my mum and my dad telling me oral histories about family members. So that has transpired into my work and how much I love storytelling within my work um, and what it did to my imagination because a lot of these family members are dead. So I have to imagine. Um, with the rest of it, with music, I mean, obviously there's mu- music in my home a lot of the time. Obviously we dance a lot. Um, but I wouldn't say in the way that I've researched it, it's factored into my home But what I'd say is looking back on certain things that we went to now, in particular church and what church was about um, and how we praise the Lord. I'm understanding, oh, that in itself was theatrical. And when I say theatrical, it doesn't mean it was untrue. It was just theatrical. Why? Because it was ritual and it was a ritual way of of exploring and um, connecting with others in a very theatrical form in a very much presentational form performative form um and so that has been an interest to me um i guess birthday parties if you want to go there as well (laughs) but like that that that's what i would say it's more so much looking back on certain things that we went to or um my oral histories and going, oh, that was really a starting point for me as well. And I didn't even know it. And there's something fertile within that. Let's rejoin the story of of your career. You went on to do a master's at Central. That's right. And then the first I, the first time I heard your name was when you won the JMK Award, which was two years ago, um, which was for a production that you went on to do, right? Of Little Baby Jesus. Yes. Um, how big a deal was winning that award for you? Oh, it was huge because I've got money <laughs> to do an actual show. Do you know what I mean? I've been on the fringe for years. Oh, maybe not years, years, but like I've been struggling, um, trying to get this arts council like everybody else, trying to negotiate deals in all these theatres like everybody else, doing a lot of youth theatre, creating a lot of connections. And finally... It was an opportunity for me as an artist and in that particular vein as a director to get money to put on a show and I don't have to think about box office. 
And I don't have to think about those. I can just think about the creation of the show and let everybody else do what they need to do. I don't need to think as a producer. Even though what I will say is my years of being a producer and creating my own work proved very valuable in those rooms and in the conversations I ended up having. They were very valuable, but I didn't need to focus on those things like it was life and death. It was literally advice I was giving. So it was it was huge for me in that. Obviously, it was huge for me because Little Bit of Jesus is one of my favourite plays. Um because of what it meant to me and the time in which I saw it and what it did for me and my my understanding of my friends and other people around me in school and understanding that they all had lives too. That was just really, that, that was a big thing for me. Um, and it sounds like, of course they have lives too, but I think it was the way in which the lives were poeticized. It was, it also was epic in itself. Our lives are epic, depending on how you tell them. And so that was a huge opportunity for me. I got to bring in so many people that I could like audition and got to like vet crews that I've, I've always wanted to work with. And it was it was just like an opportunity to be financially um, held and held with, with a mentorship behind me because the Orange Tree was very much behind me and the JMK was very much behind me in making sure that those, that I was okay and the show was good. So that was nice. I mean, it's interesting. There's a conversation around competitions and how much the theatre industry relies on awards and and uh, sort of exclusive opportunities that um, hundreds of people apply for and only one person ends up getting. I wonder if you wrestle with that question yourself. I get the 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 the, the thoughts behind it. I think I'm very grateful for what I got from the JMK, but I'm very aware that. It, it was a very slim. If I didn't get it, I wouldn't. I, I don't know if I would even be here. Um, and that's something that I, I do take on board. Um, I do also take on board that some of the criteria for these competitions requires you to have worked quite a little bit. Like, what is a professional production? That's something I actually ask myself a lot. What is a professional production? And the fact that my actual professional productions I had done were things that I produced myself, written myself. That that was my professional production. That's what got me through the door in the first place and the fact that these things are actually very very difficult um I think theatres really need to look at what ways in which they gain talent and then cultivate that same talent and what I mean by that is I grew up in youth theatre and one of the conversations, even as young people, we were beginning to have was you do your show, then you just get left. And I think what I gained from the competition was doing my show and maintaining a relationship. But um, and but with that particular competition, the people that got through to the last round, I know some of them also maintain relationships too. But I think theatres really need to think about what ways relationships are maintained and cultivated. If you said you're excited about this particular talent, how are you making sure that talent gets on that stage? Because to be honest, that's what a lot of us care about. Making sure that we can get our first proper production on a stage where we don't have to think about box office. We're just thinking about doing the show and how are you, how are, what ways are you going to do that? And financially, what are you putting in? And then I even say, I say theatres, but I feel like there's even more, more about funding bodies. I feel like there's a real, 
I think what competitions highlight is the real lack of funding bodies out there. The real lack of funding bodies for 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 theatre plays, especially when you're doing plays that are from the global majority, um, and really trying to find people that believe in your vision to give you the the appropriate amount of money that you need to put these plays on. Particularly if your vision, like yours, are mm. are, are, are fantastic, are epic, are are a multi-form did you find that yeah i find that in theaters a lot only because like i'm in one thing i've been saying recently is uh i'm in a writer's country and i am a writer but i don't think i necessarily write how the country wants me to write um i think i'm in a writer's country and i think this is why things like for black boys it's a really big thing as well because it's a non-naturalistic play and it doesn't want to be naturalistic. It has naturalistic sections, but it doesn't want to be naturalistic. It wants to break form. And I don't think this country is huge on the breaking of form. And so sometimes finding people to believe in something that they've never seen before is hard. This country likes things they've seen before. They can relate to this, relate to that. Okay, go. I'm not going to talk too much about other countries. I have a thought about America. I won't go too deeply into it, but I have a hunch from this kind of works I've read and seen that America's very interested in what haven't we seen before. Sometimes that can be a veneer into the shock, which is questionable, but it's very much interested in the exploration of form equaling content and things that could be an event in itself on the stage, um, which I think this country could do a little bit more of investing in and in terms of a lot of the writings i've seen by global majority in particular black people there is a real interest in expanding exploring form um which is not always celebrated because when you explore form it's harder to get straight away and sometimes i wonder do we always have to get everything or should we just feel can we enjoy feeling a bit more and then getting it later um can we allow things to stew um, and finding people and funding bodies to give you money to do those things that they haven't seen before is always seen as a risk in this country. It's seen as a risk. I want to know what your what your life looks like right now. Then, um, with the, you've got this transfer that's opening at the Royal Court very soon. Um, what else are you up to? Where else do your ambitions go in terms of writing, in terms of stage, in terms of film as well? Yes. So. Alongside for Black Boys, um, I am also writing and directing for two different drama schools because I've got a little project in my head where I really wanted to explore writing epics for multiracial casts um, that explore either fantasy or sci-fi, and now I'm doing both. Um, and so I'm with Arts Ed doing a play called Divine, which was inspired by... Uh, Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus and it's looking at a black girl's decision to sell her soul and why she's moved away from Christianity and then on the flip side I am working with Guildhall on a play called Hide and Seek um, which is um, a response to Robert Louis Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde and exploring respectability 
um, in a sci-fi, um, almost dystopian age within the ends of London. And you're writing and directing both of those. I'm writing and directing both of those, and just seeing where that takes me and what other lives those things can can, can become. Um, I'm also writing a bit more film over the pandemic. I had to explore film a bit more and I really started to enjoy what I could do with film. And my relationship to film is a very interesting one because um, a lot of people watch my plays and they, they say, this could be a film. And then a lot of people watch what I think could be a film and they could be like, this could be a play. And I'm like, well, I'm confused now. Thanks a lot. But... I feel like there's something niche within me in that, and I'm and I rather than going, oh no, that's an issue. I'm I'm I I am trying to explore what that means in terms of that could be quite a fertile thing, um, and I shouldn't take it at face value. There's something artistically interested in that, so I am writing films a bit more, films that have a slightly theatrical element to them, and seeing where that can take me, as well. Um, writing a short film on on that as well about black a black queer relationship and sensuality, um, and yeah, I'm 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 just trying to live my life, trying to stay alive, drink water, that thing. <laughs> so yeah, how have, how have you found the last couple of years? I mean, this must be quite it's quite a good payoff, I suppose, having a sort of as, as COVID comes to an end, having a, a show on at the Royal Court. But how have you found the last sort of two years artistically, professionally, financially as well? Artistically, um, I guess it's into, into it professionally. I had a real existential crisis. I'm still in the existential crisis about theatre because I was just like, why do we do this? So if we can't even go and see it live, why are we even doing it? Now I am exploring more what it means to do digital theatre and stuff like that. I had to. I had to keep myself going. Um, and that was interesting in itself. It was interesting to see what can be digital and still live or theatrical. Um, but um, the last two years artistically I had an existential crisis, not just because of, oh, we can't go into theatre, so why are we doing theatre? But it just really highlighted for me what theatre means to people and why it is that way. Um, and the fact that theatre means a lot to theatre makers. It, does, it, didn't, it didn't seem like it meant a lot to anybody that was outside of theatre. Um, and I was saddened by that, but also I was, I was really looking into it. And I was like, of course you do. Why? Because we will only just get into certain points where you'll begin to see yourself on stage. And when I say yourself, I am particularly talking about people of my background, which is working class and black beginning to see themselves on stage in a variety of ways. And we were just beginning to open the door with things like Nine Night and Misty and, and it, it just ended. <laughs> it just, it felt like it just ended really quickly. And so we're now back on that little renaissance, I should say, but also discovery and revolution about what theatre can be and what it can mean for lots of different people. So that was hard, but it really made me key into why do I make theatre? Why do I make art in general? Because I think I also became so laser focused on theatre over the last few years before the pandemic that when the pandemic hit, I really started to ask myself artistically, who else am I? And I'm still exploring what that means. Um, 
but I'm starting to fall in love with that question rather than be fearful of it and be saddened by it. Hmm. You seem like the kind of person is that, yeah, when you come across a contradiction or a problem or a confusion, you try and embrace that rather than um, run from it. And it took me a long time to get there. Thank my therapist, hey. But it took a long time to get there because I very easily can just shut off and and that. But I've started to see that some of the best art can come from that contradiction. So let's stew in, breathe within that contradiction and see what comes to the surface. I think that's a good point to to finish it. Thank you very much, Tristan, uh, for for chatting with me. You're more than welcome. Tristan Finney-Duenu was talking to Fergus Morgan. Theatre Voice is an audio archive of conversations about theatre. There are hundreds more interviews on theatrevoice.com, so have a look around. The producers are Tim Bano and Helen Gush. Thanks for listening. <laughs>